Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is an unusual day as in February 29th, leap year. So we don't normally have a 29th day in February, but as life would have it, the way we're tracking, the way we spin around our sun, we've decided to add another day to make everything work out all right. Thursday, February 29th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, 
answers and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that, turn on the microphone, and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternately, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if you email us, we will address your comment or question on the Internet show. And then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a lot easier to do when we're getting feedback and input about how things are landing for you. I also sometimes forget to mention that on that website at whyagain.org and the Start Here page. There are a whole host of audio files you can download and listen to, even repeatedly listen to, and they can serve as a tutorial for you about how to get maximum benefit from these tools. There's also the mindshiftersacademy.org website that I started a little over five years ago to uh, try and help increase traffic to the whyagain.org website and to be a repository for some of the audio files and and, and an easier way to tap into some of them as we're trying to um, raise awareness about the power and effectiveness of these tools and their accessibility. So if you have any interest in scoping that out, we appreciate feedback on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website as well. That's also where you can go to find out about how to join us in our Tuesday and Thursday night support groups. And since this is a Thursday evening, we're not taking the Thursday off because of leap year. We're going we're gonna to meet. And um, if you would like to join us from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, if you or somebody you know would benefit from that, All the information you would need to join us there is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So, if you or someone you send goes to there, please remind them that there are two separate pages for info, one for the login information for Tuesdays and one for the login information for Thursdays. And that will be from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. And it's wide open. We never really know what's going to happen. We invite people in. We invite questions about the worksheet process and or interest in various teachers that we have listened to and audio and video teachings that are similar to what is covered in the Mind Shifters radio show and the work with the Reality Management Worksheets. 
and the various other tools that Michael and Jeannie offer on their website. So we never know where it's going to go because it's a a group that's focused on, as just like this Internet show, the intention is to be of service. And that service can take various forms week to week. As I mentioned, on the Tuesday group, we had two separate people do worksheets start to finish in the group. And we also listened to an hour of something that was related to sadness, one of the podcasts from We Can Do Hard Things. So that's my offering. We have plenty of time for comments and questions. If you were here yesterday, how did it land for you hearing the monologue that talks about the mind shifter's approach to uh, the way of mastery and understanding there's no one little piece or one big piece that's going to unlock the keys to the kingdom or the what is being taught in the way of mastery. It is on every page. It is woven through every lesson. It is what some of us would call woefully simple. And and as we understand in this work, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Digging a ditch is simple, but it's not easy. Watching your thoughts, choosing what you're going to hold has value for you, choosing what you're going to communicate moment to moment is relatively simple, but doing it prior to every breath is not easy, especially when we've been conditioned by so many in our culture and our families to live on autopilot. So what how did it land for you yesterday to be talking about kind of the pervasive nature of the deep truths and how there's no one little nugget or one big gem that's going to unlock your pathway to the kingdom or your pathway for what you might call salvation or awakening or enlightenment. Call in number is 563-999-3581. You can call that number and press 1 on your phone or you can send us an email. What what would benefit you for how we spend this next hour, the first of these next two hours? I occasionally, right before the show, I check the emails, and there hasn't been anything that's come in 
for quite a while at the MindShiftersAcademy.org website, that tjh at MindShifters-Academy.org. I did just spend um, a full session with someone who is new to my work, new to this as me as a therapist, and we spent the time reviewing the bottom line observations. Again, we're talking about observing, and we're talking about observing moment to moment to moment. We're not talking about a one-off. We're talking about living life wide awake, observing fully, directly in each moment rather than living from belief or dogma rather than choosing fear we're talking about choosing for living from direct observation choosing for living from love rather than fear and we're talking about things every one of us can observe in our lives. We're talking about, I think yesterday in the show I had mentioned how frequently people will ask me, what do you think about this or that? And depending upon the venue, depending upon how much I know of whether they really want an answer or they're just spoiling for an argument or they're actually trying to wake up in their lives to what's truly important and based on my guess about that sometimes I just ask them why do you want to know what somebody else thinks about something what prevents you from tapping into your own access to higher wisdom And that's one of the things that I keep trying to encourage people to do when I give them the handout of the bottom line observations. I understand that most of us are programmed from our culture and our family that when somebody hands us a piece of paper and that somebody is supposed to be some kind of a therapist or doctor or expert about something, most of us want to... grab on to that as though it's doctrine and dogma or you know the gospel truth and we want to try and find ways to validate it or live from it without doing the direct observation work without questioning it for ourselves without wondering why why is somebody pushing this we had somebody in one of our groups, pretty regular, very bright, very creative person, and I saw she was uh, talking about another group that she signed up for where they were talking about the four agreements. It's kind of like a, um, a book study. And she was shocked to find out that they... 
they basically were just reading the book and then saying, okay, how many people have been living their life trying to live up to these four agreements? And she was shocked because she wanted to question, what are these four agreements? Not just accept them as, oh, I should do that. She wanted to spend some time digging deep into why would somebody read a book and then just try and go live their life according to that book without questioning. So who wrote this book and why and what is the the root of what is supposed to be wisdom and what might happen if we question this rather than just blindly applying it to our lives? And that desire to learn for herself is the kind of thing that lets her be comfortable in a mind shifter support group. Because all of this work is the opposite of trying to get people to believe one thing or another or trying to get people to do one thing or another. All of this work is about questioning, awakening, living life more fully, directly in observation. And that's certainly how I approach everything related to the Mind Shifter support groups and the Mind Shifter radio. And it's also exactly what I find in the way of mastery in The Course in Miracles and the Christian Sundberg book and any other book I present here. So, in, in lieu of anyone raising a hand and having some input, I'll remind us that there aren't any big gems, there aren't any magic wands in the way of mastery. Area code 541, you're in the air. Celinda here. Good morning, Dr. Tim. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I. That's why I said hello. Welcome, Celinda. <laughs> I've been having problems with um, not being able to hear someone else or someone else not being able to hear me lately uh, with our telephone services. So I thought I'd better ask, can you hear me? <laughs> um, I, I had a couple of thoughts um, First of all, I am thoroughly enjoying everything that we are sharing here uh, with each other, and I really appreciate that. And also, um, I am really processing the whole authority trip that I have with power people dynamics that I get into, and I resonate so deeply with Rilke's quote and with um, my own process as I look back on it in from the time I was four years old. And it seems like I came into this dimension to question <clears throat> and then put myself in a situation with a family that, um, like a lot of us, where we don't have any uh, room to be able to question 
and I really appreciate every single one of these approaches that encourage us to do that. It's one of the reasons why I like the simplicity of the way of mastery so much. I, what I would like to share quickly with you is about, I was looking at one Bruce Lipton um, YouTube video one time, <clears throat> and in the beginning of it, he mentioned that there were three ways in which we could transform ourselves <clears throat> or um, make growth. And one was through repetition. Actually, what they are is um, make new habit patterns for ourselves. One was repetition, and two was energy work, like touch your health or EFT or any of these energy approaches to the body-mind or the mind-body. And then the third one was hypnosis of some kind. Self-hypnosis is what I think he emphasized, but I'm not sure. And I have known for a long time that what works best for me is a repetition process because I think at some part of myself I feel like a very little girl and repetition works. (laughs) It's how I downloaded things. And um, I think it's the way to build new habits. So I wanted to share that with you. That's one of the reasons I enjoy when you reference again and again these works that you feel are so in line with, well, excuse me, I have an Oregon frog in my throat, which seems to be what resonates so aptly different ways of looking at the Aramaic truths that we are attempting to discern, um, our little truths with a capital T because none of us has the total enchilada. Okay. Thank you for that God response. And I would like to say also that um, in that process of uh, decoding my power person dynamics, um, I really ask for uh, a whole smorgasbord of possibilities in my um, growth process. So I ask because I want to play with um, all of these different perspectives and uh, question them, as you said, and then see how they fit with the grand scheme of things as I understand it and what makes me feel good in my heart. And then hopefully at some point in this ever-present now future, I will learn, um, I will uh, live into the answer, as Rolski so beautifully puts it. That's our only hope. The truth is, <laughs> living into the answer is our only hope. Obi-Wan Kenobi has nothing to do with it. Right. I've been reflecting also a lot on this open-heartedness, open-mindedness, open-beingness that you speak about. And it takes me back 
even though the Garden of Eden is only the parable, the children's version of all of the great mysteries, I can mine a lot of beautiful things out of it. And I remember when after Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they didn't understand death, I am assuming, so they didn't really even hear that part. Um, they, God came into the garden to walk in the evening with them, <clears throat> and they were hiding in the bushes. And God says, where art thou? And they said, finally came out. And he said, why were you hiding in the bushes? And they said, because we were naked. We are naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? (laughs) And I just thought about that. It's just like the nakedness is like, the aspect of the totally open heart and mind and soul that was in unity with the creator. And when they decided to um, create form out of their own devices, out of their own little mind, um, with the first thought that God was holding something from them, um, uh, they 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 were the ones that perceived that they had to clothe themselves and hide. So I thought I'd share that. Okay. You know, uh, as you talk about that, parables, Michael Rice likes to quote from the Aramaic where they say, without a parable, he, she, they did not teach. Meaning... From the ancient Aramaic, the word parable meant to have parallel meanings, so more than one layer of meaning for every story. And, you know, when you tell a story like that about the Garden of Eden and eating from the tree, sometimes it's told as eating the apple, and sometimes it's told that the serpent tempted them by telling them that if they eat that fruit, they will have the same wisdom and knowledge that the Creator has, that God has. And other times that story is told as eating from the tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil. And so at that level, it's a parable about the destructive force of judgment trying to decide that something in the flow of life is less than or greater than something else in the flow of life. And that story, that level of that story, that observation about how all things, all events are neutral and we create obstructions to our ability to be in direct relationship with life every time we judge, that same wisdom is contained in the way of mastery. That's something we talked about extensively in the third lesson where it calls us to question every judgment 
and dismantle every judgment with a process that they're calling forgiveness and awaken to the idea that every time we layer an interpretation or a judgment on our experience of life, we hide the truth of life from ourselves. We create the very obstructions to our perception of life as it really is. So what if, as the way of mastery would call us to, we learn everything is neutral. All events are neutral. Everything is just a flow of life, and we are welcome to enjoy it the way someone would enjoy watching an opera or a symphony or a sporting event in which they have no vested interest in who, which team comes out with a higher score, etc. And that's the invitation for us in our lives. Moment to moment, prior to every breath, wake up to what we might be doing with our ability to discern. Are we just discerning or have we moved into judgment? Have we, we stepped into the dream of knowing at an intellectual level? And if we wake up and realize that's what's happening, and oh my gosh, not only is that happening, but that's responsible for all of my suffering, then we get to choose again. And so that to would piggyback be my on the, that. And piggyback on the uh, you're using the word knowing. Uh the one thing that I did learn from my Christian studies that I had to live into the understanding of, which I am now beginning to, was that knowing is experience. In the Jewish mind, knowing was intimacy. It wasn't an intellectual informational exchange of, in, of, of informational forms. It was energy. That's why in the Bible it said, and Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. And so that is really, really helpful because the way of knowing is by the time we begin to start knowing, it becomes built into our mind-body system and it actually becomes a form in our cellular structure, which is what I would think Michael is saying, or you are saying, when our erroneous thinking, incorrect thinking, um, false and um, limited thinking, actually becomes a a structural element in our cellular tissues. And so that makes total sense to me, and that that is very sweet, that I am actually living into the knowing with my whole being. Well, that's just exercising what we were talking about yesterday and the day before, the idea of definitions of words and so if you define a word 
the, the word knowing as having intellectual constructs about a thing that you get one set of results. And if you define knowing as having a lived experience of it, you get a different set of results. I have two more quick thoughts I'd like to share with you. One, one you just mentioned about the tree, the knowledge and good of evil, uh, is the discernment part. I think that's what you said. And the fruit, the two different versions of the story. I was thinking of of the fruit as being the outcome, the the end result of the choices we make or the decisions we make if we're if we're in an unconscious state at that point or a subconscious state, reactive state. So that enriches it even more that there are two different versions of the story and I, I forget what you said, the tree of life, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where we jump from choice to a judgment. I believe that's what you said. And the last thing I would love to share is that it's taken me a whole lifetime to live into my uh, understanding of what my purpose is that I came down here for and that my only purpose is to be love extending out into my world, the world I have created within between my ears, and also the actuality itself so that I'm in alignment and that um, my secondary purpose is that I'm a convener, I'm a connector. That's my job. Um, I go around and that's another reason for asking people, what do you think? Um, what have you learned, discovered, experienced? And I feel the same way about books because books are like friends for me. And so uh, it feels very good to have to take pressure off of myself. I don't have to perform. I don't have to produce. All I um, really need to be is to be genuinely myself and um, pass along, share along the things that I think are helpful, not only for the good of the whole, but for myself as the little individual spark. All righty then. I'm grateful for your sharing. I hope it is a, a productive thing for you to be sharing like that and help you focus more on what you want to accomplish in your life. Anything else you want to share with us today? No, I am complete. Thank you for uh, making this space to listen and to right. allow me to share. You're welcome and deserving. Have a, I'll mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show, and I'll invite any other comments or questions before moving on. We've got about 24 minutes left in this first hour. I don't know... Um, I don't know how many people are listening that also listen to the second hour, but it's it just comes to me to say it's uh, 
perfectly valid to ask about anything that's gone on on this Internet show over the past 13-plus years now. Um, it's uh, It also occurs to me to put out the request one more time for somebody to, anybody to say, hey, look, you know, um, it was nice to have these people on last Friday. What about inviting so-and-so? Or what about this book that I read that you might be interested in? And I'm in, inviting those suggestions both for the On Your Mind podcast, which is uh, some volunteer work I do for a nonprofit called Journey's Dream, as well as for the On Your Mind uh, internet show that we're doing now. Um, the Journey's Dream podcast, the most recent published episode is by Judith Pinkerton, who's a licensed music therapist who now has a patent to develop an app that can help people change, learn how to change their moods and stay more fluid in their mood with music. A music medicine pill. It's an actual uh, prescription of of music from various genres that pay attention to six different aspects of the music to help people move from unsettled to soothed to energized in their mood. And she's has a research base. body of work that's allowed her to secure a patent for this music medicine prescription. So, that's another resource. It's available at the Mind Shifters Academy. I'm, I'm apologize. Sir. That's it's available through the onyourmindpodcast.org or journeysdream.org/podcast. And there's uh, 155 or 56 of them that have been published so far in the past four years, and and we're looking to just continue that weekly if we can, although it's quite a challenge to find a new one for every week, but we're chipping away at that, that intent. So I'll return, since no one else has a hand up, to the Way of Mastery, Lesson 14. And where we left off the last time I was reading it was where the the invitation is to recognize that if we're not wholly, totally, completely living in the awareness of our true nature as love in this moment... we can choose again. And the truth that we live in that energy of love and that it is expressing through us in form is always true. And of myself, I do nothing, but the Creator through me does all these things. And the writing here says... I did not say that I learned these things of my Father and now I'm doing all this wonderful work. 
it says, I acknowledge my complete helplessness, my complete dependency. This is Yeshua speaking, writing, I eradicated any perception that I was a self separate from my creator. I stopped giving authority to the tiny little gnat inside of me trying to shout toward the vastness of space that my will needs to be done here. So the text goes on and says, as you sit in your chair in this very moment, hopefully with your transformation journal in your lap and a pen that you've purchased only for this purpose, remember this. Remember that you are totally, completely dependent at all times on the pervasive reality of this energy of creation that some call love, which has given you existence out of its desire to extend its treasure. Its treasure is joy. This is the reality of who you are in this moment. You are as the wave that has arisen from the ocean of the Creator's perfect and holy love. You cannot possibly for even a moment be cut off from it, be separated from it. All of that thought of separation is an illusion and a dream. The text goes on and says, yes, tomorrow things will change. Yes, there will be a point when the body breaks down and dies. Yes, there will be a moment in which all that you see before you will be there no longer. As in everything that is birthed in time ends in time. That is the way it is. And yet... You are free to cultivate the ability to perceive the real world, the actual world, to see, to know, to feel, to taste, to be, and to extend that which is real, that creative energy itself, that one mind of the Creator, that capital L love that meets that definition the definition of all that is. All the thoughts, all the energy, all the material, everything is simply the flow of creation. And every time we step out of that flow and label this is bad, this is wrong, this is right, this is good, we kid ourselves into thinking that we know better than the flow of life itself. And as we talked about just yesterday and the day before, it's ludicrous to think we know anything for certain that we know better than the flow of life in any way, shape, or form because we're only able to recognize one tiny fraction of 1% of what is going on at any moment. And we're only able to recognize one tiny fraction of 1% of what's going on in every moment, and we only consciously register a tiny fraction of that to create our realities.
So it is, it is just, it is a child's fairy tale game to think we know anything for certain. It's like what I, you know, I, I've come to talk about. Michael Rice was saying there's some kind of a quote that they studied what had been taught in universities and 85% of it has been disproven since such and such a time. It's absolutely true. I mean, I, I know myself. I, I, looked, I started looking back at the stuff they taught us in grade school and the stuff that was in the books in, in high school and the high school, you know, just simple things like the periodic table of elements. And when they first started teaching me the periodic table of elements, they said, these are all the elements in the universe. Everything is made up of this. Well, by the time I graduated high school, they were adding elements. And I said, wait a minute, I thought you were t- teaching us for years that this was all there is, and now you're telling us there's more? And so it started to crack open my awareness that these people that are teaching us these things as though it's the gospel truth and the dogma, they're making it up. They may know certain things, but they don't know what they don't know. And so sometime in college, by the time that kept happening, I was shaking my confidence in authority at all these different levels. And then after college, I was reading science magazines, and here's some of the stuff that, that you know, they taught me in college about nerve cells, and they're the only cells in the body that can't regenerate, and when you have any damage in a nerve cell in the brain that can never come back, etc., and now here's a cover of Life or Time magazine, I forget what it was. It had a picture of a brain on it. It said, hey, we've learned that uh, all these functions in the brain can get picked up by other brain cells and grow new brain cells. And, and I just started, I was flabbergasted. So sometime after college and as I was going into graduate school, I started talking to people as I'm doing therapy with them, I started talking to them about not this is the truth, but I would say things in couched in the way of this is the best we understand about it at this point. It leaves it wide open to grow and change, to be influenced by new data. Please, for your own benefit, do that at every level of life you possibly can, whether it's your religion, your spirituality, what you think of as your science. Please understand, we don't know what we don't know, and we are working with a tiny fraction of, you know, our five senses can only register a tiny fraction of all that's here, all that's here in known matter and known energy. And our science tells us that that's probably only 20% of the energy and matter in, in the universe. That right around us right now are energies and types of matter that we can't see with even, not just with our senses, our five senses, we can't see them with any scientific instrument that's been devised yet. So 
So here's an exercise in Lesson 14 titled, the section that's titled, An Exercise to Develop Your Awareness. So, therefore again, the text says, therefore again, by way of another exercise, please just take a moment and look around you. What is the first thing that your eyes see? In that moment, just be with it. Do not be so fast to judge it as a candle or a flower or a picture or a cell phone or a chair or a wall or a desk. Simply be with it. Let your body relax. Let the thoughts flow. Don't think so much. Don't value the thoughts that are moving. Just breathe and soften and let them go. After a moment of softening and letting the thoughts go, ask yourself, what is this thing? Do you truly know what it is or what it is for? You describe it. You name it as in the biblical story Adam once did with the animals in the Garden of Eden. The human mind believes that once it has named or defined a thing, it therefore knows it. It is called the smugness of egoic knowledge. But do you truly know what a thing is? Do you recognize what has come about to even bring it into existence? How many minds had to have been involved in bringing forth that particular creation? What are the materials it is made of? Where did those materials come from? What plant, what rock, what metal has been discovered and extracted from the body of the earth itself just to become that shape? How on earth did that happen? Where did the very molecules and atoms come from? What is the actual truth of that thing that I'm looking at? Can you find a place in which you merely rest in awe? A-W-E. Just resting in awe at this creation, at your ability to have awareness of it. And recognize your complete ignorance. Divine ignorance. Not ignorance with some kind of a negative connotation. Just the awareness of all that I don't know that must be here that, that I can start to get access to if I let go of the thought that I know and I understand. The text goes on and says, you did not make that thing. You cannot find the moment in which that thing first began to arise as a thought in someone's mind. You are completely unaware of the moment of the birthing of the substance from which that object has been created. Look at it then with reverence, with awe, with childlike curiosity and recognize that it has come forth from the same place as you. 
you. Mystery, utter and sheer mystery. If you can be aware that this object you're looking at comes forth from the very same place that you and the body that you're in comes forth from as mystery upon mystery, can you begin to feel an affinity with this object? Are you not then in relationship with it? Can you not then begin to sense the sacredness in which that relationship abides? For mystery is sacred, and it transcends even the greatest of minds. The greatest of philosophers cannot comprehend the field of mystery in which all relationships arise. Now, looking upon that object, whatever it is, recognize that you have called it into relationship with yourself. Recognize that. Ponder for a moment and ask yourself, quote, out of what vibration of consciousness did I first call this object to me? Close quotes. You might remember purchasing it in a store. See if you can discover the very first memory in your moment in your memory, in your consciousness, in which this object came into the field of your awareness. What was going on at that time? What were you thinking? Or were you thinking at all? What motivated you to bring it into the field of your current existence, your home, your office, wherever you are now? If you're at a friend's house, the question remains the same. What motivated you to be where you are right now? What choices were you making with your consciousness? Now, again, we would suggest that you pause in your reading and spend about five minutes repeating this exercise with several objects or things that you see in the room around you. Do not forget that that might even include your kneecap, your hand, a ring upon your finger, the socks upon your feet. Enjoy this exercise. And remember, do not press the brain. That is, do not think so hard. Relax the body. Sit in the chair as though you were Christ and just look. And go through the kinds of questions we have given unto you gently, playfully. And then we will continue. So this is another exercise. It is suggested that you allow turbulence, disturbance, questioning, shift in perception 
that you relax and release attachment to knowing or being so smart that you practice stepping into questioning at more and more fundamental levels. Everything you think you know. This harkens us right back to the beginning of this book before the lessons even begin. In the promise, it says, if you would reach your destination, accomplish what you say you want to accomplish, fulfill any kind of a goal you have for this kind of book that you might pick up and read or listen to, I promise you this, it says, if you become totally committed to awakening from the dream that you've dreamt before the stars began to appear in the heavens, and if your one desire is to be only what you were created to be, then just do this. Lay down on the altar of your heart with every breath. Put down everything you think you know. Everything you think you want. And find a way to look lovingly on every place that fear has made a home in your mind. If you do that and you allow the correction to come, it will come. Here we are, 14 lessons later, 175 pages later, and it says, spend five minutes understanding you don't know anything about the objects in your room, about your body, your hand, your kneecap, the ring on your finger. You don't know where it came from. You don't know what was the human mind that first had the conception to create a ring or a desk lamp or a chair. With just that, I call you to just awaken to how much this book is a fractal, just like I've, I've talked about before. Here it is in the promise before the lessons even begin. It says, please put away everything you think you know and everything you think you want. Here we are in the 14th lesson. Here's an exercise. Wake up and recognize you don't know what anything is or is for. The very same message, only now in a very simple, practical exercise that you're invited to do multiple times a day, five minutes at a time, or whenever you feel called to do it. And then just notice what that's like. Step into a different way of experiencing your life. Step out of the knowing into the questioning and observing and just make notes for yourself about what that experience is like. What does it stir up in you? Does it feel comfortable? Does it feel awkward? So that's all we have time for in the first hour today. I will remind us all that we come from love. 
We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are the energy of creation expressing in form that many call love. Everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. You're very welcome. Have a good deserving. I hope you enjoy having this extra day in your year. I know. (laughs) Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Leap Day. It's Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we are on day 32 since we started looking at the Enlightenment and also Michael's uh, book, The End of Suffering. And some of those shows, uh, I've got all the links just for those shows out in a separate page called The Enlightenment Study. It's listed under the Kabors where you can pick those up either on YouTube or Podbean. And, um, you know, but still the show is here. If you have a question, that whether it has something to do with the Aramaic or the Enlightenment or something else that we can help you process. And uh, we do, Michael, already have a hand up. I'm not sure if it's left over from Dr. Tim or if it's a new one. Let's go for it. All right. 541, you're on the air. Good morning. This is Selinda. I just forgot to take it off. So I'm here and ready to um, listen. Did you hear Michael, me? You are mu- Michael, you're Austin muted. Austin hoped all is blessed in your world. Would you repeat that, please? You just came in. I say awesome and hope all is blessed in your world. Well, the valley thinks so because we got some more snow, so everybody's kind of happy at the moment. <laughs> yep, everything. Pardon? I say burr. I'm holding that tonight, which is supposed to be down to 25 again, is going to be our last frosty night. At least the weather for the next 10 days is showing it, so hopefully winter's finished here. <laughs> We've learned here in the valley, wait five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And the weather turns around. Oh, yeah. Nature has always the last laugh. Yep. So it's it's all good. Everything is uh, fine here. And um, I will hang up in case somebody else wants to call in or in case you'd like to read from the Suffering or the Kaburs Institute. Thank you. Enlightenment book. Bye-bye. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. So, well, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody uh, with a question that was sent in via the app or email or what have you? And or mm-hmm. anybody else with a hand up? No, Anything it is happening all in the chat room? Okay. There are no hands up and Great. no questions in an email, so take off with it. All right. Well, we're going to circle back now to the Enlightenment book, and I'm going to step back into page 23 
to uh, just kind of reinforce some of what we've said about the core principle of the work. Uh, when you think, you know, we've got this metaphor in our world today about com of computers and so much that we can understand about ourselves through the metaphor of a computer. And one of the things that, as I think about this core principle that Yeshua put forward, you know, he says that Rachma, filtering the frontal lobes of the brain, must be active when you think of creator, when you think of neighbor, in order to maintain your own human life. In other words, to, in order to maintain, maintain intelligence, there is no intelligence in the mind any more than there's intelligence in a computer. There are capabilities, but there's no intelligence. You know, if I program the computer 2 plus 2 equals 5, then the computer is going to answer to when I say what's 2 plus 2, it's going to say 5. There's no intelligence there. It's just a resonating device. And when you think about computers being hacked, my take is this answer from Yeshua when they asked him what's most important in the law, we could, we could expand that question to what's most important to keep your life on track as a human being and keep your mind in order. And he says the first order of business is have this filter in the frontal lobes of the brain. This gateway in the frontal lobes of the brain has a dual function that brings active present love into your form. Otherwise, you can be easily hacked in computer language. And my take is that most of the world has have their minds hacked. And how do you tell if a mind has been hacked? It functions or acts out of some form of hostility or fear and therefore has lost its human operator. And so if one is guided by a guidance system that's off base, then the guidance system has been hacked. What's the guidance system? It's perception. Perception being a construct of the mind. So where we had left off was this idea of perception being the guide for your life. We had spent quite a bit of time on that. So the quote goes like this from the Aramaic, the light or the guide for your earthly life is perception. Therefore, if your perception is without fault, that is, if it's based in Rachma, your whole life will be enlightened. It's the objective of this book is enlightenment. That is, keep your lights on. If your perception be unfit, if the constructs of your mind be based in hostility or fear, then your whole life will be darkened by it. And if the light for you is darkness, how deep will your darkness become? So if your mind's been hacked by hostility or fear, I can say that I don't think I've ever met a person whose mind has not been hacked. And you go back to the ancient teachings and they said, there'll come a time when the whole world will be fooled. And my take is the whole world has been fooled. What's it been fooled by? A darkened mind 
that feeds a fraud or a lie to us that there's a reason to act out of some form of hostility or fear and by so doing give up our human lives. For me, the objective of this work is to maintain your human life. So if we start at the page, top of page 24, our opinions based on perception control our behaviors. Selections of actions and decisions are based in perception. And of course, this is what counseling is designed to improve. This is what therapy is designed to do. Values, and this was a real bugaboo for, for Dan, was that so many people were talking about values. And this, this section was written by Dan. Values were classically considered in Western mental health to be the first step. This cannot be true as values themselves are opinions. There has to be a prior step before the formation of every opinion or value. Immanuel Kant, in the early years of the 19th century, concluded that perceptions are organizations of a limited amount of presently available data and relating memories. He considered opinions to be organizations of relative perceptions. Thus, he placed perceptions as the first step. We're not going to do that. We're going to put Rachma as the first step. This key that Yeshua gave, a way, a way to make sure that your mind cannot be hacked. The normal counseling of criminals to improve their values and thus their behavior is recognized as a failure. When the words of the higher law are used to correct the meanings of faulty words that sustain criminal perceptions in a mind, the counseling of criminals becomes an exciting success. It becomes effective. As the words that cause criminal perceptions and behaviors cease, and, and we could, you know, this was originally a lot of Dan's work was done in the prisons, so the, the criminal mind was a key, and actually he went into working with the prison systems. Two reasons, uh, Judge Assidy Kelly asked for something for prisoners, and he had been doing some correspondence with British intelligence, and they said, well, if you want to straighten out the human mind, the only place to test it is the prisons. And recidivism with this work was cut by over 90%. So as the words that cause criminal perceptions and behaviors cease, criminality ceases, criminal opinions, values, and behaviors begin to disappear. Counseling of criminals become a, becomes a pleasant, rewarding, and successful activity. From 1973 to 1978, in Albany, Georgia, me, 96% of convicted felons at liberty in the community under probation sentencing were back to jail on a meaningful arrest during a five-year period, despite receiving normal counseling. However, if they took the available Laws of Living course, or its predecessor, EMI, to improve the faulty words behind their criminal perceptions, opinions, and behavior, only 16% went back to jail for a meaningful arrest in that same five-year period. To change an opinion, 
The perceptions upon which it is based must first be changed. To change a perception which is faulty, the faulty word meaning or meanings which created and sustained the faulty perception must be corrected. And that's exactly what laws of living does. A value is an opinion. It cannot be the sire of itself. It cannot be the beginning point for all opinions. Words and word meanings that built perception is the first step. So you go back and you hear now echoes through Dan's writing here of Yeshua in the first century, where he says, the power of life and death is in your words. Since the beginning point of unwholesome opinions, actions, and decisions are perceptions, counselors and educators could benefit greatly from correcting relevant perceptions. This is accomplished by correcting the words that support poor perception. Inaccurate perceptions are the cause, pardon me, cause one to believe and accept that destructive decisions and behavior are wholesome. If the relating words and perceptions are corrected, unwholesome opinions and the destructive decisions and behavior they produce will automatically be corrected. So we again hear the echo of Yeshua's words, or the ancient scripture's words. I'm not sure this actually came out of Yeshua's mouth, but basically, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother got to remove from your own unconscious mind those things which are in error in you that you projected into your brain's image of everyone else. So remember, when somebody's in denial, they have to hide the truth from themselves. What is denial? When I think or speak as though you're the cause, you out there are the cause of what's happening inside of me, I'm in denial. Now my mind has to formulate a perception, a construct that shows me that you're the problem. And my mind paints that picture on the inside of my eyeballs. I think I'm looking out there, and I'm looking at you, and that you are the problem. This, I believe, is what led Paul to say, Beware you who judge another, for that in which you judge another, you've been guilty of practicing. What you have upset and disturbance about is a picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs, projected into your brain's image of someone else. And so those perceptions, the core of forgiveness and what needs to happen is those perceptions must be collapsed in order to get to the root of and the correction of those parts of one's mind. Laws of living targets words and perceptions that relate to higher law. This current edition has expanded on the original work, adding more of the pivotal passages from the Kaburis Codex. These passages were selected because of their importance and their illustrative nature in comprehending the Aramaic understanding of the mind and its relationship to the Creator. More specifically, the selected passages are meant to demonstrate the hows of the teachings of Yeshua. Soon, many more will be available from the text of the Kaboris, of which only a portion has been rendered into English. And, you know, we don't know what we don't know yet from that text, and it is not currently undergoing any sort of translation work or there's no work being done on it. The project fell out of, or ran out of money, and so we had enough to continue to work with without doing additional translation work. So it still hangs out there waiting for 
the day when funding shows up. So this volume is an expansion, update, and revision of the pioneering work of the Onan Codex Foundation, incorporating the latest of the Foundation's findings. This work is ongoing, and updates will be released on a periodic basis. The Kaburis Codex has been placed under the stewardship of the Kaburis Ancient Manuscript Institute, established by the Orthodox Christian Institute, followers of the Church of Antioch. The vision of Dan McDougall for the manuscript was that it would be an open source document and placed in a museum for public exhibition. Unfortunately, the physical Kaburis has been removed from circulation and sold. We are working toward creating high-resolution copies <coughs> that will be made available for the world community so that, at least in part, Dan's vision can be carried out. So when we go to the Greek language, virtually every key word important to life has been turned exactly backward. Forgiveness has been made pardoning. I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. If I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, have I done anything to change that which is, is moving in me that is causing my pain? I've done nothing. So we want to reestablish the meaning of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a tool with which you go inside yourself. You find the aberrant energy and information that is painting pictures on the inside of your eyeballs as your perceptions, collapsing those perceptions, giving you access to the underlying faulty data, corrupt data, and correcting it. That's what forgiveness is. Love. You know, we've been told that love is sexual athletics or, you know, self-sacrifice. Put your head on the chopping block and be tortured for somebody else. Those words have nothing whatsoever to do with love. Love is a state of being. It's what we are. If you don't know that, then everything in your life is off base. Law. Law is a, a, a major, especially you know, right now in our culture. And we have, um, in, in, in particular at this point, you know, you, you've often heard me say that law is not the rule of a superior in the Aramaic language. And you'll notice that somebody today in this culture who thinks they're superior to everybody else is trying to redefine the whole idea of law. And that's what the non-being mind does. And you'll notice how much hostility or fear there is in it these days. Law simply means the way things work. It doesn't mean the rule of a superior and that the superior is really peeved with you because you're not following the rules that were laid down. So law is simply the way it works. And men have tried to change the definition of that word and then tried to get out from under law so that they could create their own definitions and become a law unto themselves. And I'll just offer, you know, because the way it works is the way it works is the way it works. Nobody has a choice about it. That's never going to change. But until we understand what the word law means, there'll be this game about fighting over who's going to be the superior rather than investing our energy into how does this energy system work and what's the dynamic that's happening here. So we could go on and on about the words involved. And as it unfolds, there'll be more and more of that uncovered.
So we're going to go into the introduction to the Yonan Codex. Remember, there were two different texts. The Yonan Codex was one that belonged to a man named Yonan, and it was a family manuscript, and it was a 6th to 7th century text. Nobody's really exactly sure. There are different estimates. And it was not a complete text. So that's one of the texts that the Kaburis Foundation, or actually the original social service agency in Albany, Georgia, was working with. And then the Kaburis was acquired by the foundation and became the root of the work. But this is the Yonan we're going to talk about for a few minutes. So it was the predecessor. It was the, the original Aramaic manuscript that was being used to create emotional maturity instruction. Time we... <coughs> Dan and I met, and we put our work together and created Laws of Living. You know, I had been doing a course called Lessons in Living, and Dan had been doing EMI. We put it together and created Laws of Living. That work started with the Kaboris. We already had the Kaboris by that point. So in April 1954... The manuscript of the New Testament in Aramaic language was first shown to public in America. On that day, the Onan Codex was, at his request, presented to the White House, or to Eisen, Dwight D. Eisenhower at the White House, and Secretary of State John Foster Dulles. After their examination, it was then transported to the Library of Congress for display. In an ocean-packed unveiling, a panel of speakers headed by the Secretary of State gave tribute in an impressive ceremony. The Onan Codex was labeled as, quote, the New Testament time bomb by Reverend Frederick Brown Harris, the chaplain in the United States Senate. His words quoted here most appropriately describe its importance. The NT of the title stand for New Testament. Profound in its final significance and the rest, the test of any instrument of deadly destruction on the Nevada desert was a recent April scene at the Capitol. In the, of the nation. The setting was exquisitely beautiful, the great hall of the Library of Congress, that cathedral of learning and letters where are stored and garnered treasures of all man's searching and striving received that day into its custody a, price, custody, a priceless volume, safely insured for one and a half million dollars. Of course, that was the 50s. Today, it probably more like 40 million. It was escorted by motorized police and armed guards. It was about 1,600 years ago that a skillful scribe with an evident pride and expert workmanship laboriously yet joyously inscribed on parchment vellum the entire New Testament. The chapter headings in red are still timelessly brilliant. Across the centuries, through the varied vicissitudes of history, invasion and catastrophic social and political changes, including cruel examples of man's inhumanity to man, this book has been almost miraculously preserved. It presents the canon of the New Testament in which the early followers of the great Galilean were in agreement before divisive controversy split the church. But the thing that lifts it to the pinnacle of biblical interest, it is as written as in the language used by Yeshua, who spake as no man never spake, and the vehicle of his deathless concepts of life. Here are the very syllables as they fell from his lips. 
when the matchless teacher was here among men. It is like hearing the one whose birth broke the ages in two, talking to our modern age without language barrier between. Here's not a translation of the words, but the words themselves of the one who, under that pale blue sky, or that blue sky of Palestine, declared, My words shall not pass away. They are spirit and they are life. Gazing across the years to be, he warned that those who defy his precepts, which are the laws of life, will be ground to powder. What treasures will be found in this very language of Yeshua can only be imagined as it is studied. The Aramaic language presents an imagery unknown to the Western mind, but well known to the mind of the East, was the lingua franca of the Persian Empire. It stretched from the Mediterranean to the Great Wall of China for more than a thousand years before and after the birth of Yeshua. The Aramaic language, unlike any other language on earth, has no known place of beginning, nor does it appear to have gone through an evolutionary period. It is as if it sprang to life fully matured, fully grown. An Easter, Easterner speaking Aramaic could walk 4,000 miles and communicate with everybody that he met. Carried upon the imagery of the Aramaic, the Zoroastrian religion grew to its full flower. It is the language of most of the prophets of the Judeo-Christian faith. It is the language of Yeshua. It is the phonics and language of Muhammad. There are many who, as with the uh, the New Testament, will deny it was written in Aramaic. It had to be written in Greek. Uh, there are many who will tell us that the Quran was written in Arabic. It was not. It was written in Aramaic. His symbols appear upon the bricks lying in the plain near Babylon, which are thought to be the building blocks of the Tower of Babel, and it is, of course, the language of the famous Dead Sea Scrolls. The Aramaic imagery and capacity for communicating the subtleties of religion after this record of use and of success cannot be disputed. However, its difficulty of comprehension for Western intelligence is great. Perhaps this difficulty underlies the, the fact so poetically phrased by Rudyard Kipling, East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. And basically, you know, what, what, what he's saying there is there are two different mindsets. If we go to the Beatitudes, basically the Beatitudes are a set of instructions for creating a mindset that will support and express a life lived as an in love. Not exactly the culture of the Western world. The construction of the Aramaic language involves the use of a multitude of suffixes and prefixes attached to a root word so as to establish new meaning. This, of course, also is true in every Western language. For instance, we have the word dress, and by a suffix change from change it from one to more than one, dresses. We have the word man, and by a prefix change, the gender to female, woman. By suffix or prefix, the English language modifies the meaning of a root word in many, many ways. In Aramaic, however, there are suffixes which modify the root word meaning in terms of comprehension not widely known to Western intelligence. 
In Aramaic syntax, the suffix uta, O-O-T-A, indicates the concept designated by the root word is then human action, active human judgment and behavior. So just adding that suffix to a word tells us what's happening in a mind. Thus, uta added to the root word sne indicates a malicious, vicious human judgment and behavior. The suffix ta, ta, indicates the root concept is a present mindset or attitude, a force in the mind exercising a control function over what can be perceived, what can be stored in or recalled from memory, and what can be used in judgment formation. So while those who resist what Yeshua put forward talk about, well, what did those old fogies in the desert know? You just need to look at that one single paragraph and you understand there's a, a, a comprehension of how the mind works and how to maintain the use and control of your own mind as opposed to the mind being hacked and being run by dynamics outside of oneself. It's called brainwashing. It's called a cult. You watch what people do under the control of a cult leader, and you see what happens when one does not understand how to protect their own mind from being hacked. The Beatitudes, good attitudes in Matthew, <coughs> pardon me, carry this TA suffix, indicating the beneficial traits recited stem from a mindset or sets, the controlling forces within the mind predictive and causal to this resulting judgment and behavior. In other words, the rules that if you know them, and that's what the Beatitudes are, you know, it's not the Beatitudes, and we'll cover those as we unfold, the Beatitudes are not just a nice philosophy. There's a set of instructions for how to put your mind in a place where it is a proper servant to you and is not available for others to hijack. Modern psychology has uncovered two distinct types of mindsets exercising control. One type is goals, objectives, or desires, what one wants to do. The predominant goal of the moment, either conscious or unconscious, essentially controls what data the brain will select or use among the whole supply of data always available from the five senses in memory. So, hence, we see how Yeshua, having this understanding, came up with the core of forgiveness is you've got to know what drives perception and how to collapse it. And what drives it is goals. And so the core of forgiveness is the canceling of goals, which collapses the perception that is based in some form of hostility or fear. Restore the mind to love and you restore the mind to intelligence. A second and more pervasive mindset is that controlling what is cued or triggered into use by the data selected in response to the goal. An examination of the Beatitude shows both types of controlling mindsets, that is, goals and cue controls, to be designated by the TA suffix.
Thus, in the translation text, the English word attitude is faithful to the Aramaic meaning of ta, ta, so as to include both the data selection controls and queue controls. This is incredible to realize that all this information was built into Yeshua's My Words Are Life idea 2,000 years ago. If a mind is overrun with hostility or fear and one lives in that state, there is no human life. I mean, literally, there is no human life active in that form. And so, by understanding correctly, not Greek interpretations. And, you know, it's only recently really occurred to me that what most people call translations of the Bible that come out of the Greek through the Latin, through the Old English, through the Modern English are not translations at all. They're all interpretations. Translations would mean an accurate integration of the original concepts in the words in order to have a translation. And it just isn't there. With the fact of these two controlling mind forces before us, we can understand the dilemma of him who stated, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. You know, there's Shakespeare. Under Aramaic understanding of the mind, he had a poor attitude. Apparently, he had a sound goals, but poor cue controls. Thus, while his words were sound, what was being cued was unsound. So one remains unconscious of the source of their words when they're in this place that, that Shakespeare talked about, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. And the genius technology of forgiveness that empowers us to uncover in a reliable, consistent, persistent way the unconscious dynamics of the mind is, in this context, just like, it doesn't get bigger than that. The use and meaning of these suffixes confront us with the question of what is represented by the root word standing alone when it is without the ta or the uta suffix. When it is not an active mindset or attitude, nor active behavior and judgment. Sne uta is active, malicious, vicious behavior and judgment. Sneta is the attitude of mind, pardon me, the attitude or mindset productive of malicious, vicious behavior and judgment. But what is designated by the word sne? Apparently the root word to which the ta or uta can be appended represents a stored mental capacity a latent, finite entity of mind, that is, a construct of the mind, perception, available yet inactive, a mind structure or formation developed, inherited, and planted, or otherwise acquired and readily available for activity. There is no English word for such an entity except the word gestalt by Wolfgang von Kohler. The Russian Christian scholar Ivan Pavlov, whose father was an Aramaic preacher, gave the world his conditioning experiments whereby he changed, developed, and reorganized mind entities, these structures of mind. 
meaning of the word gestalt is so fragmented in modern use, another term was sought. The term neural structure was first used, but in this edition, the term mind structure is employed to designate the entities, organizations, or formations within the unconscious mind, which are the biochemical electrical representations of our available perceptions, ideas, or capacities. So we have these latent neural structures, and they can be made of experiences, words that have been heard or spoken, and genetic material can all contribute to these entities of mind, we might call them. And then to be conscious of what cues them into activity and to recognize when they are of a corrupt nature and therefore how to remove them becomes key. Ultimately, the objective of this work, at least you know, one way of saying it would be to be able to forgive, that is, remove entities of mind, structures that when they lie dormant in the unconscious and are resonating through activity, take over. And there are many habits that make it easier for those T's in mind to take over. And there are rules by which you can bring your mind back into alignment with the highest function of the mind. In the Western mind, Sigmund Freud was more than entitled to a Nobel Prize for his discovery, and it was actually a rediscovery, of the unconscious mind. Apparently, for untold thousands of years before the birth of Yeshua, the existence of the unconscious mind and its functioning was so well known to the Aramaic-speaking people that it was part of, I mean, literally part of the syntax and grammar. A translation of the Aramaic, and, and the Greeks, I mean, until Freud came along, the Greeks had no idea what we were talking about. A translation of the Aramaic teachings of Yeshua into Western imagery, such as English, which preserves the psych these psychological distinctions inherent in the words actually used by Yeshua himself, gives to the Western mind new and deeper insight into his words. This new evangelon, or good news, is the meaning that splendid Aramaic word applied so many years ago to his teachings. For the first time, the Western mind can easily see, hear, and understand the psychology taught by Yeshua. And in my awareness, this approach to the Aramaic language, this comprehension of the Aramaic language, just doesn't show up in any other translation than the work that was done by the Social Service Agency and the Kaburis Foundation. Truly, the Creator moves in mysterious ways. Until the discovery of the unconscious in 1898, there was no way for the Western mind to intellectually understand the rules for sound mind development and management contained in the Aramaic teachings of Yeshua, of Nazareth. There is no way for a chemistry book to be properly translated if the translator is ignorant of chemistry. Unless there's an idea within the human mind, there can never be a word for it. 
Without the public acceptance of the science of psychology, there would be no way to communicate the psychological teachings of Yeshua from his native Aramaic. Without the eyes to see and the ears to hear, without the information stored in brain cells, an idea cannot be comprehended through the mind. So this is what Yeshua, when Yeshua was saying, in order to understand and use his teachings, you had to have the eyes to see, or to see and the ears to hear. One may well wonder what other wisdom is in that purest truth ever made known on earth, waiting for us to build the brain cells and discover. You know, we don't know what we don't know yet on this subject before we may understand that he's already explained it. Who knows? Perhaps someone has just received a Nobel Prize for the discovery of a subject which, ten years from now, we'll find explained in these ancient teachings. The physical examination of the Yonin Codex reveals the unfortunate fact that both the front and back pages of this remarkable document have been replaced with text written on paper instead of the original hide. This was a crucial absence of antiquity and authenticity since the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of St. Matthew was on the paper pages rather than the hide pages whose antiquity and authenticity were thought to be by many to exceed that of any New Testament manuscript then known. The particular portions missing represented an important part of the transcription of the only gospel preached in Aramaic, the only gospel which substantially all scholars, both Eastern and Western, agree was first written in Aramaic. According to the foundation set out, pardon me, accordingly, the foundation set out to acquire a text of the Gospel of Matthew in the ancient Aramaic, transcribed on the original hide. Another foundation was fortunate in securing, in 1966, the Aramaic New Testament, now known as the Kippur's Manuscript, in which almost all of the text of the Gospel, according to Matthew, is presented on the original animal skin. The age of the manuscript is interesting, but not key. The news presented here is not the antiquity of the manuscript, but a totally inaccurately, pardon me, but the totally inaccurately accuracy, pardon me, totality and accuracy of the psychological wisdom expressed in the Aramaic syntax and concepts. The complete history of the Kabor's manuscript is unknown. It was secured by the Onan Codex Foundation by the gift of two Americans who are thought to have secured it from an ancient religious sect known by modern, modern scholars as an historian. The sect is a surviving remnant of the Sea of Babylon, of the Church of the East. It's thought by some to have been out of a library in a small church atop one of the mountains in Kurdistan. The contents of this library received by Turkish, pardon me, received by Turkish authorities in 1966, and are now in Ankara, Turkey, as per an announcement in the Istanbul Gazette of June the 11th, 1966, complete with pictures of the church and some of the documents then in hand. The language of this small church is Aramaic, and it was spoken by, as it was spoken by Yeshua of Nazareth. Their script is Estranglia long thought to be dead and their new script since the days of the Islamic conquest. The present condition and welfare of this church and its most reverent members is unknown. Dan believed that uh, he, he had information that indicated that the uh, 
monks were actually all murdered very shortly after they left Ankara. While Aramaic texts of the New Testament have been available in Western scholarship since Matthew was first inscribed, all known efforts to translate the Aramaic texts into English have largely failed to deliver into any Western language the full insights that the translator has gained from his reading of the Aramaic. could well have been due to the fact that all Western languages are descended from the Sanskrit language brought out of the East by the Persians in their first westward conquest. Upon contact with the Aramaic, the Persians took the Aramaic as the language of their theology and the language by which they would rule their empire. The Persian Empire lived in peace with its neighbors for over 300, or pardon me, over 3,000 years under the understanding of the Aramaic language. The Aramaic language comprehends psychology so completely it utilizes the syntax which portrays the working relationship between mindset, perception, mind structures, reason, judgment, entities of mind, human attitudes, and human behavior. It expresses an understanding of physics, of how the world works, and of humans' place in the world in a way unprecedented in history. Also, Aramaic does not distinguish verbally between the mental and the physical. The word for near in Aramaic includes the mentally near as well as the physically near. Nor does the Aramaic verbally distinguish between a cause and its effect. The same word signifies both the cause and the effect. And, you know, that one's really so important because we live in a culture where people, because cause and effect appear to be separate, people think they can engage in a cause and not have to ever deal with its effect. That's what led us to put the line on the uh, worksheet that says, I get the original. They just get the carbon copy. So if there is an effect that I don't want to experience in my life, I best not be engaging in the cause because energetically they are one, they're connected. We can, in perception, we can seem to separate it out. And people think they can get away with engaging in a cause without ever having to experience its effect. But the instant one engages in a cause, the effect is inherent in the cause under the Aramaic understanding. So there's no distinction between cause and effect. Such thoughts as these did not exist in the Sanskrit, nor do they exist in any of the descent languages such as Latin, Greek, English, or other Western languages. And I see that we're down to about the 15-minute uh, point left, sweetie. So just checking in with you to see if we've got anybody out there with a hand up in the phone queue or anybody in the chat room with a thought for us. And or if you are out there, and if this arouses any thoughts for you, any discussion, and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to that show on your phone. And you'll be in our switchboard. So then if you push 1, that will raise a hand in the control panel. And Jeannie will know you want to talk to us, and we'll have a conversation. You have a hand up. Let's say hello. 
Area code 610, I believe it's Miss Susan. Hi. Hi. Hi, thanks for this. Um, Michael, I'm embarrassed to ask you, in the Aramaicism, which move along awfully fast for me, do you go through each of the Beatitudes and then really flesh them out, or are you planning to do that here? Because I'm listening and my brain is not, I don't come away understanding very well. And I might be the only one that way. Uh, Michael, if you're talking, you're muted. I did mute my phone, excuse me. Um, I, we uh, will be going through it as as the uh, the text unfolds. However, uh, knowing Jeannie, she's probably already got the link in the notes. Back about, how long ago was that? Probably two years ago, Jeannie? We did several days on the Beatitudes, and there's a, a young man who had uh, picked up and done some work with the Beatitudes. So we actually did a, a an interactive conversation with this gentleman, Mark Haddis. And uh, so those uh, shows are in the archives. And, and honey, it might be, uh, might be good if we took those shows and put them in with the uh, Kabura study that we're doing, the Enlightenment okay. book, put it on the page with these. Okay. Mm-hmm. We spent, I, think, I don't remember exactly, three or four days uh, in conversation about that. And uh, that'll probably rattle some brain cells for you when you when you listen to that. Mm. Well, the other day, I think it was the eighth beatitude, you had a reason for going into that one. And I don't remember why, but it was amazing. I was beginning to get it. Brain cells have to be created from new ozone or whatever it is to get... That's what it takes, absolutely. It takes building the brain cells. Yeah. And do you remember when that was? I talked about the eighth beatitude. Is that? I did. <laughs> no, we have the beatitude poster, but we actually don't have. Say again. It was quite recently, but I don't remember which huh. day. Okay. Yeah. Well into your your highlight. It uh, was on February the twenty second. How do you? The girl is on it all the time. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, okay. So we'll put that in the notes. But is there a question in particular about the Beatitudes that's uh, resonating for you? No, I'm just, I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, I get it. And I'm sorry about that because I may be the only one, but so uh, having those uh, links to that discussion you had with that young man might be very helpful. Well, if you remember, if you look at the, the first phrase in each of the Beatitudes according to the Greeks is, Blessed are they. Right. Right. And in Aramaic, 
It's a three-part word. The word is tuvehun, mm-hmm. and it translates closer to this rather than blessed are they. What it says is, the creator implanted in your mind neural structures which will guide you when they're active. If they are inactive, you who follow these instructions will come into conscious possession of and be able to use this latent guidance system designed to make available thoughts and actions that will increase your happiness and well-being. Wow. So you put that in front of every one of the Beatitudes. And, you know, I I actually, when I created the, the poster that we have on this, do you have a copy of this Beatitudes poster? I probably do. We are actually cleaning out a lot of stuff, and I might come across it, but I don't know where it is right now. But I did get okay, one well, from uh, the wake of the retreat we were on. Yeah. But it's on the website, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a, okay. a 10 by 13 standard frame size, so if you've got it, you might want to pop it in a frame. But, But basically, what it comes down to is... And, and when I created this poster, it was my second time through the Beatitudes, uh, consecutive time going through and really breaking down every word from the Aramaic that all of a sudden it struck my mind because I'd always been taught, you know, as a kid we knew about the Beatitudes and it was just a kind of a nice philosophy. It was something nice. But it wasn't until the second time I was sitting down word by word going through the Aramaic, it was like, bingo, this is a set of yeah. instructions. This is how you access right. and resonate the guide system the creator put in you. <laughs> and there's several steps. And like when you realize that that's the only way the mind works, like these are the laws by which the mind works to bring one into happiness and well-being, it just, I mean, it changes everything. And, and it's like it's there for anybody to have. And yet so many people are living in misery and trauma and pain and yeah. and they've never been well, given like a, the tools. Like a rock and a instant <laughs> translation machine activate, activator. Uh, wow. Right. Okay. Well, it opens, to me, what it does is it bypasses perception and takes us into actuality. It, it, this set of instructions integrated into the mind, mm. to me, the best way I can understand it or express it is that this actually worked through and fulfilled makes the mind a stepping stone for living in conceiving of and receiving the direct energetic input of actuality rather than living in the realities in the mind. We had someone uh, who we, called in the other day. and, the, and Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. I heard the person who called in. But that would be just, uh, all I can say is that would be the most wonderful and useful thing because I'm living in my perceptions all the time and dealing with each one ongoing as Tim Hayes moment to moment saying <laughs> the rats that they come through moment to moment smag them. Ah. and when you realize that 
the flow of information in most of our minds is determined by, and you look at the root of the word generation, genari means cause. Yeah. That flow is caused by generation upon generation upon generation upon generation having certain mental processes go on. You look at that story of the Jews wandering the desert for 40 years, and it wasn't about a hot, sandy place. It was about being stuck or lost in their own unconscious. And what had to happen mm. to get out of the desert in that story was the old generation had to die off. All of the old causes had to be forgiven, had to be removed. Otherwise, resonating into activity, the flow of the mind will follow whatever's gone on in the generations. Hence the work of forgiveness required to change that dynamic and to create a new mindset, which is what the Beatitudes are. But much like, you know, they, they took the set of instructions for how to become the space where love shows up in the world, which in Aramaic is the meaning of the word prayer, the essential meaning of the word prayer, they took that and made it something you say by rote every Sunday morning, which is the exact opposite of what yesterday said. Don't repeat and repeat. Yeah. That's now of the intellect. That's of the mind. And it's the, we're, we're looking to bypass the mind and, in fact, to create a set in it so that it becomes a fit structure to support our human lives, our living as presence of love we were designed to live as. And all you have to do is face every generation of your bloodline and clean it up. Hey, you know, no big deal. Cough, cough. (laughs) Right. So it's a process. Oh. Joining you in the process, young lady. Yep. <clears throat> Good. But we're down to the last minute or so. Any last minute thought for you? It's too big of a thought, so let's save it for another time. <clears throat> okay. That we'll make good. a note of it, and Thanks. let's start the day out with it tomorrow. If you have the space well, it's, and the inclination. Oh, sure. I have the space cool. and the inclination, but it's personal, family, grandson, generational, you know what, hitting the fan sort of thing. Oh, and ouch. I really think I know how, what I need to do. Mind shifters seem to be much more useful even than wake-up sheets at this point. I mm-hmm. won't go into why, but anyway, they they yeah. put me right on track, but... It's it very rough seas at the moment with mm. Jacob. No. It's just... We're holding the space. Just exhausting. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate All right. it. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.